Welcome to the Future of Application Security, a podcast for ambitious leaders who want to build a modern and effective AppSec program. Doing application security right is really hard. Now I'm going to help you build a better future of AppSec at your company by curating the lessons from the leaders. I'm your host, Harshal Parikh, CEO of Tromso. And without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Future of Application Security. Today, we have Tej Garwal. Tej is the Director of Application Security at a phenomenal company called Pega Systems. Tej, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me. And thanks for the opportunity, Harshil. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tej, having you here. Before we go deep into the super interesting topics that we have lined up today, it would be great if you can give a quick overview about uh, yourself. And uh, I see that you started your career in software development. And uh, how did you end up in security? Why you made that switch? And how did you end up in your current position that you're in at Pega Systems? Yeah, so currently, as I said, I'm Director of Application Security in Pega. And I started or transitioned into this role almost like 10 to 12 years ago. <laughs> and before that, I was definitely a software engineer, architect role, and then definitely managing the teams of the software engineers. So I was sitting on the other side of the table, other side of the spectrum. However, like I did a lot many software engineering, starting on COBOL, Pascal, .NET, Java, so many technologies. So I kind of knew the aspect, the software engineering aspect of it. And at that time, I never thought about security in my mind. So I never cared about it. However, as I, when I grow in my career, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, I realized that there is a big deal of software security. The way the world is changing, the way threat scenarios are evolving, surfacing up. So I was offered by my CSO at that time, that company that, hey, why don't you join my team as a application security architect? And uh, at that time, I had no idea. I didn't even know what the pen test was. <laughs> but I say, yes, this is something I conceptually I knew. So I said, yes. And that was the transition point. And I was, I'm very glad that I made the decision. And I grew up from there. And in last 10, 12 years, I learned it very well, spent a lot of money time, uh, gained a lot of money certification around it, CISSP and GBOP and CSM, and also the certification from Harvard University. So it not only gave me the background or backbone of the software engineering, but it also gave me a good knowledge of how you can exploit the code you write. So I have seen both sides of the spectrum and also things in between because sometimes I get in the situation where I have to explain about, hey, these are the risks and I can talk the software engineer's language as well as the security language. Fantastic. Yeah, I love that story, especially. I've talked to a, a few folks on this podcast who come from software development background and they bring such a different perspective to security yeah. just because you lived that life before, right? Yes. So, so you empathize them at a whole different level. So now you're running application security at Pegasystems. Tell us a little bit Definitely. about what Pegasystems is and what do they do? Yeah, so Pegasystems is known for the Pega platform, or it will say the Pega platform for building the application for enterprises. 
and it's more you heard about low code no code technology so to build a enterprise scale application or workflow you don't have to hire a big team or army of software engineers or developers to build that solution that you have in mind as long as your business objectives are clear what you want to do pega help you to build those workflows build those scenarios build this process and boom there's the application you can build so it's a application to build your enterprise application in a simple way and it's a big very complex platform and uh, i think uh, it is being used to many 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 clients across the globe right and how big is pega i mean i've seen it at a number of different companies being used as as you said an internal application development platform i've seen so many different use cases <laughs> of pega yeah. across different business units how right. how big is how many employees do you have how many software developers do you have in the company we have almost 1500 core software developer i will say and then the rest of is the supporting team around that one so 1500 the development teams and then overall companies 6500 employees are almost that much got it so about 1500 developers and about 6 and a half thousand employees right so okay yeah. so it's a fairly big sized company i'm guessing yeah. a global presence across different countries yes yeah we have offices in india we have offices in poland and netherlands and definitely here in united states got it got it so in your capacity as application security are you interfacing or is your responsibility around securing the pega platform or is your team building security features in the platform or is it doing both my focus is more towards the setting up the processes building up the maturity of the application security so it's more around how to write secure code how to put processes around how to build the secure sdlc right right fantastic so so i'm guessing you would have to work with all of those dev teams and all the developers as they are building capabilities within the pega platform you would have to interact with them correct That's exactly right. Yeah. How many how many teams is that? Like you you mentioned about fifteen hundred developers. How many dev teams do you have? I would say around fifty different teams who are kind of an individual group of engineers or development teams who work on the specific feature of the platform. Got it. Okay. So that's a fairly decent sized company, right? I mean, if you have to interact with fifty dev teams, about fifteen hundred developers. that could get very challenging especially as you try to bring consistency in application security or if you try to make you know risk based decisions at different steps of the software development life cycle since you joined pega about a year ago right roughly a year ago that's right yeah what what was your primary objective when you joined in your mind what was the primary goal so my primary goal was really to look where the gaps are in terms of the process what we are doing and where we have the opportunity for improvement and also so in a standard way if i have to say i really put the 30 60 90 days strategy 30 days i really spent my role to interacting with each development team each leaders finding out what is happening good and where the gaps are to improve and next 60 days i really put the strategy in place along with continue to engage with development team and other senior leaders and certainly in last 90 days uh, i really put that strategy in action and i would be happy to share those results because uh, in those strategy uh, my challenges were that each team 
and they were building good product good everything is good however i did in my observation there were so many silos they were doing in their own way so there was i would say the normalization that needed to be improved standardization that needed to be improved and i think the most importantly the one thing in my observation was to how i can see the risk in one let's say powerpoint slide how can i communicate the risk to senior leadership that this is the risk we have <laughs> we didn't have that as a centralized scenario or avenue to look at that but i normalize formalize and looking through the single pen of glass so that's the thing i'm still working on it uh, i still feel that i am fairly new to the company so i'm still learning and evolving the process that's great what i get from what you just mentioned is that when you came in there was already some maturity in the application security already i didn't hear you say oh i had to get you know a static analysis tool or i had to do get a pen test done you know typically those things are like the you know step 1 or step 0 yeah. rather uh, right. so i'm guessing all of those basics were already in place uh, those things were happening so the gaps that you saw were more around making them effective or making risk based decisions is that accurate that's accurate i would also want to add is though we had tools in place and we's doing because we are developing the cutting edge technology cutting edge tool to our customers so definitely security has been the forefront for our customers however i have put kind of mindset of security culture that think about security as soon as you think about adding any feature mm-hmm. what i'm coming down to shift to the left how we can start surfacing or noticing vulnerability from beginning in the process because there are two aspect of it and that's what the culture i'm trying to set is that if you know vulnerability early in the process they are easy to fix and less less money to spend less time to spend so it is a good deal to ha- in place right however if you if you find the vulnerability let's say and the when code is about to go out of the door or you find that in the penetration testing is very expensive this expensive for our customer is expensive for our development team because it's going to take time resources and definitely money yeah yeah so i get that i mean everyone would agree that shifting or extending security capabilities left is the right thing to do more cost effective more timely better from a risk perspective but the challenges typically come into when you're dealing with an organization your size where you have 50 different teams how do you even know that one team is pushing out a new feature for example out of those 50 teams yes so that's a great question and it's a big challenge to deal with <clears throat> the one thing which i did herfield was uh, rolled out the security champion program those were the one thing which is basically the building the bridge between security and the development team those are my advocate the ambassadors for the security that is one thing and also we always have stand ups or uh, status calls where we are seeing that who is doing what and mostly the focus has been hey we have fixed these many feature bugs or so and so but i wanted to start a conversation about how about security how are the findings what are we dealing with when those findings are being addressed so the conversation started and happening in those meetings and also on the regular the reporting where i used to tell the senior leaderships that 
these are the risks we have, these are the findings we have, and we need to get them fixed before it goes out of the door. So it's easier said than done, and <laughs> it doesn't happen in a single day or single month, but you have to continue to kind of stay connected, stand up, go to the stand-up meeting, listen to them, also listen to them, not to kind of a preaching about security, but also listen to their challenges, uh, their priority, and how you can bake the security around their existing processes. Right. So that begs the question that when you are relying so much on the processes of the development teams, Mm -hmm. is there even consistency in their process? Because at at a scale of your size, when you have 50 teams, 1,500 developers, are they all following the same process or... Are they following different processes? So I will not hesitate to say everybody has a different process, right? And what I did is, or was, is that pick the low-hanging fruits, pick the teams. I quickly observed that with the team, those are really working and considering about the security. I started highlighting those areas in the group meetings. So it's basically encouraging other people or giving them the idea of how we can think about security along the way. And then capitalize on that information and proliferating that information to other teams. Of course, uh, it also saying, hey, you heard that, now can you implement it? It doesn't work. So you have to really work with them, understand their challenges, and sometimes it comes the resource constraint, the timing, right, things to right. go, certain things go on the certain time to the market. So you have so many challenges along the way, but my approach has been crawl, walk, and run. Yeah. Let's start crawling because if you stand still, you are not going to move, so you crawl. And then keep adding, capitalize on your easy wins and build up a Lego block and build your success and start communicating that. So that's how I built. Still, we have a lot of work to be done, but I think everybody got the idea that we have to do it and it's the right thing to do it. And as I said, every team are doing their own process, which is good. And right now we have work in progress. We are consolidating that information in one place so we can you know, start seeing the bigger picture. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So give me an example of that. So I I love that approach of finding a few teams that are friendly to security that you know you'll get some success, get some quick wins, and use those wins to evangelize security across the rest of the teams. But what does that win look like? Give me an example of what it was. Yeah. So it could be something like are you doing threat modeling? Maybe I'm just giving the example, but Mm -hmm. that definitely happens. Like certain teams, those are very much focused on building the right code in the right way. Some teams are doing threat modeling. Others may not be doing the threat modeling. And everybody's a different approach or concept of threat modeling. And some people have a different perspective of the threat modeling. So what I did is I did the cross-pollination of this idea, meaning brought up the team in a session, which I call it security champion sessions, where I meet all the security champions. These are the representatives I picked up from each development team and ask them to present how they, you are doing the threat modeling and have others to listen, have others to comment on it. And that's how you can kind of capitalize on that one. Right. Does that understand? Yeah, that makes sense. So it's basically, you're not saying that. You're bringing the dev team 
to talk about threat modeling in that yep. uh, in that forum. So the other teams see that it's their peers. It's not you know the security yeah. team preaching to the choir. But it's it's yeah. it's more about the other development teams yeah. talking about threat modeling. That's pretty fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Did you leverage that kind of a philosophy in rolling out technical tools like you know some sort of scanning systems or some other tooling, security tooling? Yeah. So as I said, we already had tools in place. So it was good in a way that okay, we have something which is empowering our development community to scan it. But the second thing is, once these tools are noisy and these tools are not always, you know, give you the right information, meaning there are so many false positives. If we, let's say, take example of SaaS to any of the SaaS tools, we started bringing up those reports saying, hey, are you doing the static analysis? Can we see the report? And... uh, then do we have this, whatever the finding it is, do we have in our tracking system? And if we have in the tracking system, who is fixing it? So it's basically working with them as a partner, but it's still pushing the ownership and empowering them and putting the ownership back to them so they can fix it. Right. Uh, so that is kind of how we are evolving our processes around it. Yeah. So that makes sense. And that brings up an interesting question. I just had a conversation on this exact same topic with another guest on the podcast. And we were discussing who should own the triaging of those results. So let's say, you know, the security team deploys a static analysis tool and there is results coming out of it, potentially false positives. A lot of them could be. Who does that first level of triaging saying these are things that should be looked at? Yes, that's a great question and i think there is not a clear answer at this level of maturity but ideally we uh, we meet the security team triage them we work with them we say that okay this is the vulnerability or whatever the issue is and what could be the impact and what could be the likelihood that's how the the framework we look into mm-hmm. but at the same time really trying to find them or guide them that this is the vulnerability but this is how you can remediate it. And also we try to make sure that whether it's a it's really tool is telling us or it really exists. So right. I'm trying to say is whether it's really true positive or false positive. Yeah. But to answer your question, yes, it's kind of a hand. We have to hold hand in hand to triage them. Yeah, makes sense. So talking about tooling, I'm guessing at your scale, when you have 50 teams and modern development environments, there would be multiple CI/CD pipelines and multiple deployments happening in parallel. Yeah. And I think you were talking about earlier that you have an on-premise software that Pega delivers to your customers, but you also have a cloud component. So there's complexity in your release lifecycle as well. I'm guessing multiple release versions going to different streams and all of that is, right. is very complex from an application security perspective. Maybe. So when you are looking at standardization of application security across this complex environment of several different teams, several deployment models, several release versions, how do you do standardization of even simple things like security tooling? Because um, mm-hmm. you know you might not even know what are the CI/CD pipelines, yeah. what are all the releases that are happening. Yes, and no, that's a very good practical challenge I had faced. So I did it in two folds. One, once I have all the security champions in place, I really did the binary search, meaning just asking them whether or not you are using, for an example, 
open source scanning tool or software composition are there is there any tool yes or no just that's the answer and once i have zeros and ones it was very easy for me to see the gaps where the zeros are so let's out of 50 20s was zero my focus shifted there that those zeros should have only one tool not multiple tools but the ones those were 30 ones i also try i uh, slice and dice and saying what are the different flavor or different brand of different tools they are using and i did find out there are multiple more than two or three tools were used and for different reason we are still at the stage that we are continue to use multiple tools because we don't want to kind of just plug things out and say no this is the right tool to use because i don't want development team to slow down that's the thing i want to build that trust and that's the reason so remaining 20 i am pushing them to use the right tool and is basically showing them that what success is the teams those are already using tools are getting so let's work together and implement this tool and forget about the result first let's first implement the tool so we can actually close the gap and then second step would be what comes out from those two let's look into that so yeah. again this my crawl walk run approach <laughs> yeah yeah i love it get the scan coverage first get the appropriate yeah. coverage of testing first and then we'll figure out what's the higher risk to be resolved and remediated Absolutely. makes sense so in this case do the dev teams have their own independence and choice to pick and choose a tool at their choice and are you just recommending them or are you enforcing like hey you have to use this type of a tool or system So if any team don't have tool or did not have tool we have put the standard in place saying these are the tool you have for choice mm-hmm. and it makes things easier also so they don't have to uh, spend time to explore the tool or go and shop around the tool because we want to get it the centralized tool from licensing other perspective but at the same time yep. uh, the tool will give the same result which will be easy to manage mm-hmm. so we have put a standard in place saying that okay if you are doing static analysis these are the requirements tools actually not these are the st- this is the standard recommended tool so we are trying to normalize as i said and definitely as i said we have multiple tools so we are also trying to consolidate and doing comparison analysis among those tools which tool we should keep and which we cannot uh, we right. can just don't use them makes sense so now let's say you have all of these gaps identified and you're implementing you're encouraging implementation of these tools into the ci cd pipelines now yeah is that something that the application security team does which is go in, goes in and configures the ci pipeline configs to add a step for security scans or are you relying on security champions to do that or is there somebody else that's doing that actual implementation integration into the ci cd pipelines so we partner with uh, on a multiple teams within pega and we have a team focused on really evaluating tools and implementing to helping teams to implement those tools so hmm. developer don't really have to implement those tools tools is there and we have already built the guidelines if say suppose if you have to plug in certain tool in your pci cd python here are the instructions read them and implement them means it's a very easy to do that but we have like devops team also who helps us in that scenario however it's not like read the document and get it done it's not my job it doesn't happen that way so we work as a team 
and collaborate and a good partnership among different teams. So we work together, make sure that development team is properly supported mm-hmm. and they get help when they need it on the time. Right. That makes sense. I mean, especially if you have a central team that helps with tooling, I'm guessing all kinds of tooling, not just yes. but all kinds of other yep. tooling that drive standardization across engineering. So you just tap into that same initiative and add security tooling as a part of that component. So that exactly. makes it much yeah. more easier. Exactly. Um, in terms of at a central application security team level, do you define that standard, whether you know certain tools have to be integrated as a part of your CI cycle or is that okay if they don't do CI and they're just running, you know, like offline scans once in a while? Is that okay? Or do you have standards defined for either one of them? It used to be okay, but it's not now. <laughs> we are pushing for a discipline. We are pushing for a standard. We are making sure that you scan the code as you build the code. So that's the standard. That's the guideline we build up. And we are asking people to use those guidelines. Right, right. And you, you were mentioning about quality gates as well in an earlier conversation. Tell me a little bit about how do you use quality gates for security use case? Yeah, so it's very simple. And I think that's the kind of a backbone for us to be successful. And uh, all of our development team, they know what is SDLC is. And if we say design, okay, are you thinking about security? So what to think about design? I'm just still thinking. I'm just designing. I'm writing on the paper. Then the conversation gets very interesting. Because have you thought about threat modeling? Are you, do you know? Or what can go wrong? Think about that. So we are kind of planting the seed of security or the thought in that, for an example, right? And then what should be the security requirement you can have at the design phase? And when we are building the code, what could go wrong as, for an example, you're writing select star from whatever. Can it be a SQL injection? Are you going to find out just because you have taken the training over stopped in training? Or are you going to have a tool that can help you warn that, hey, you are writing the, the syntax is wrong. It can prone to a SQL injection, for an example. Or are you just going to download any third-party jar for your login? And you just make things work. So we are injecting those ideas, planting those seeds for security. But at the same time, we are empowering our development team with the tools. So for as we are writing the tool, we are making sure team use SAS, team use OSS tool. And then once they come build the code, compile it, we are making sure they do the dash scan at the same time. So as you can see, uh, design, develop, and test. We already did the three checkpoints, security checkpoints, right? And when having these checkpoints is giving you a confidence that, okay, I passed three gates. So I have confidence the fourth gate, which is pen testing, is going to have a minimum security risks. Means conceptually, but practically, definitely it gives you the confidence. So these are the quality gates we are putting in place. We actually, we have been good success on in this scenario. We are making sure that we close the gap, have team use those tools in each step of SDLC. So when code goes out of the door, everybody's confident that code is secure. 
Do you see a world where the gates would enforce certain things or, for example, break a build or disable merge when certain things are present? I think it's a good process, I would say. And that's exactly what we have in practice. Say, suppose if you're running a SAS scan and you're running the build and you're running the SAS scan, kicking off the scan. And if you find a critical high vulnerability, so you can set the policy. This tool helps you to set the policy. And if you find any of the critical high vulnerability, fail the build. There's a good indicator that something is not right, something needs to take care of. And that's kind of an extreme scenario. But another scenario could be let the build pass, but it has to get to be reviewed. It needs to be get triaged before you go further gate. Right, uh, right. So, and tools, such tools gives you the flexibility. So you can plug and play. But in our scenario, if you have critical high, fail the build so we can immediately take a look. Right, right. That makes sense. I mean, that brings a, a lot of uh, discipline. It might be not for everyone, I guess. Like, you know, you have to make sure that the culture is okay with taking yeah. those types of decisions. But if you've got alignment from the leadership, then uh, it makes sense to do that as long as there's not too many false positives that are breaking the bills all the time. Exactly, yeah. Fantastic. Now, so this is fairly mature process, right? I mean, what you talked about, it takes years and years for most application security teams to build and deploy and have it operational. And I'm sure you've got room for improvement and all that. But what does the future look like over the next three to five years uh, in terms of the you know the maturity of uh, application security in your organization? Yeah, actually, uh, Pega or in general in the industry, I think uh, I will talk about the industry as such. We have empowered our developers with the tool. So we are definitely saying, okay, we are delivering the application value, meaning our application is free of risk or whatnot, right? And this is good. I think this is already in place. Next thing we have to do is you have to gather all the analytics around it. I'll gather all the information, slice and dice and make stories that our senior leaders can understand. So you need to bring those capability. And this is work in press. So I would say work in progress. So it's been said this is a present state or near future state, I would say. We are, whatever can happen Tools are noisy, but we are able to gather all that information and show it to our leadership or overall organization that this is our risk posture look like, right? That's a near future. But I think a lot of work goes on, a lot of manual work goes on as we talked earlier, right? You have to work with development team. You have to massage the data, build the Power One slide or show it in the Power BI and share with the executives a lot of work goes and nothing happens behind the scene, right? So I think in my view, in the ideal future would be, can we bring some artificial intelligence capabilities? Just like, I would not say the SIM tool does, but it's really aggregate the information, put some logical intelligence around and highlight that. So you are empowered, you have the data, and you are able to visualize that data. And not only visualize, you can take action immediately without less effort, without manual the efforts in on the place. Yeah, that makes sense. I know there is one team, one tech company on the West Coast in Silicon Valley here that is working on an internal project for exactly mm-hmm. that, which is 
there are certain classes of bugs that almost always get marked as false positives or duplicates, mm-hmm. or they never get fixed because of mitigating controls being present. So a very simple use case of machine learning here would be just to identify those patterns and preemptively say, okay, whenever we see these types of bugs, there are very high likelihood that they are going to be false positives or nobody will fix them because there are other mitigating controls present. Yeah. So significantly reduce the work of whoever is doing that triaging and prioritization to to leverage the existing data sets. But yeah, I mean, it's a challenge because the data sets are just not clean enough in our world of applications yeah. to be able to leverage yeah. machine learning. Uh, that's that's right. Uh, look forward to seeing you do some of that work and maybe we can bring you back in a, in a year or so to talk about how you leverage AI and ML to make AppSec easier. Absolutely, I would love that. All right, Tej, this is all the time we have today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and uh, sharing all of this information. This is super helpful. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Harshil. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening to The Future of Application Security. If you've enjoyed this episode or you are new to the show, I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the podcast, I'd be grateful if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.